the Welcome Center, you will find shoeboxes um, and a pamphlet about how to fill them, what to put in them, and specify for a boy or a girl and what their ages are, and you put the sticker on there and bring it back within the next two weeks. Then make sure this one was off and I've got a little ring going on. Um, so if you would please um, get those out to church, I want to thank Jeannie for helping me get those ready. And She'll be in the Welcome Center to help you if you have any questions. So we're going to do the shoe.box ministry this year, and we're also going to do what we did last year as well, helping local families through the CAC. We'll get names and sizes of kids like we did last year and put packages together for families. And so you'll have at least those two opportunities uh, this year to give. And so we appreciate you doing that. Uh, Jack told me, before worship, that he's preached here when my dad was pastor here. Uh, that's been a little while ago. Um, and he also did my grandfather. And so family goes way back, and it made me think about family that, well, the reason I'm a Christian is because of my family. I was led to Christ by my family. How many of you are Christians today because of your family? Well, probably a majority of us, isn't What about a neighbor? Uh, a neighbor or somebody that cared for you, and if you're a Christian, you became a Christian because of a neighbor. There, uh, that's your story. We'll have to hear your story sometimes. Uh, some of you might have that unique experience that you became a Christian because God just whispered to you that He was out to get you, and He got you. And that's a great story too. We're going to want to hear your stories uh, in the days ahead. You can call that harvesting, can't you? My dad was harvesting his family. My grandfather was harvesting his family. Hopefully, you're harvesting your family. I thought about the harvest this week because I moved here from Indiana, and for the past 15 years before I got here, we were in farm country, and it's funny what I miss. I miss seeing a combine in a cornfield kicking up dust. I miss seeing that. I miss seeing tractors and pulling grain carts behind them full of soybeans or full of corn, making me slow down as I drive down the road because you can't get past them. I miss that. I miss the joy of farm families when they finish harvest. A lot of them would farm a couple thousand acres. And when they were finished, they worked extremely hard, sometimes around the clock, around bad weather. And when they finished, it was a very special time. And their goal in that part of Indiana was to finish farming by Thanksgiving. They, that was a goal to be done by then. And then Thanksgiving was very, very special. Uh, and it is 25 days away, believe it or not. So Thanksgiving seemed to be made a little more special there because it was harvest. We'll talk about that today. Before we do, let's pray together. Father, make our hearts open to you and your word, your spirit. Make our feet and hands willing to go and do what you've asked us to do. Let us use our voices and all that we have for you to tell others. And Father, help us with our mindset that it's in tune with you. We're thankful for those that led us to you, family, friends, neighbors, coincidences that, well, aren't coincidences at all, but an answer to your divine call. 
And Father, help us to look at the world around us as you've told us to. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, just a few verses, beginning in verse 35 through 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And there are a lot of lessons in those few verses. Uh, and these lessons can change the world. In verse 36, Jesus looks around at the people we are told by Matthew Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He's looking at some hectic lives. He's looking at their spiritual conditions. Harassed and helpless, another version says, uh, weary and scattered. Sheep without a shepherd. If you know much about sheep, they're not very smart. They can't do very well without a shepherd. Sometimes we are that way. When we don't let Christ run our lives, the Spirit of God direct us, then we're in trouble. We all have our testimony about that. But Jesus said something startling to me in verse 37 as I thought about the harvest. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. We can learn a lot here, I think, about the mindset of Jesus himself. He's not talking about sowing. He's talking about harvest, that it is ripe and that it is ready. <coughs> Jesus saw potential. He saw the weary finding rest. He saw the helpless finding help, the lost becoming saved, the sinners becoming saints. And he's not talking about sowing. He's talking about harvest, that the world is ready, people coming to God, lots of them. And we have to, and I have to, develop something called a harvest mindset to see that this is true, that people are ready for Christ, but sometimes we get comfortable and we get in our own little world. We don't think about it. Perhaps you've heard of the two competing shoe salesmen sent to a remote island. One had the correct mindset and the other was wrong. The man with a bad mindset called the home office after the first day saying, I'm coming home. Nobody here wears shoes. The second one with the good mindset called his office and said, send all the shoes you can manufacture. Nobody here has any. I fall between these two, so I'm one or the other in my thoughts of Christianity and harvesting. We can go either way. We can look at the world and read the paper and see the news and observe what's going on around us and say, you know, 
The world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's a fallen world of misfits, and it's getting worse day by day, and there's not a thing we can do about it, and we throw up our hands, and we become weary, confused. Or, we can see a great harvest right now. I was stuck in traffic on 285 Friday. And the sermon was mulling around in my head. And if I'm not careful with my mindset on 285, when you're going zero miles an hour and you're seven lanes across, I can become downright unchristian if I'm not careful. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about too, don't you? But as I'm thinking about the harvest and I'm thinking about Christ, what I was thinking about that day was all the souls in Atlanta. And what a wonderful opportunity we have. And it's interesting how that mindset will change you. I remember years ago, and I'm not the only one in this room that did it, but I'm not going to mention names, but we were taught in youth group to witness. And I don't know if you did this, or if Tom Lowry did this, or if Jake Malone did this, it might have been you. And we loaded up in the Bluebird bus, and we were taken to the Perimeter Mall to witness. Any, any, does this ring any bells to any of y'all? And so, do you remember, was that you? That was Tom Lowry. That was Tom Lowry. Okay, well he's not here to tell you the truth then today. <laughs> so, we got a little formula, and you know, I, I might have written notes on my hand, because I was a preacher's kid, and I had to be the star pupil of witnessing to Perimeter Mall. And that was before it was illegal to witness the Perimeter Mall, and we could go and do that. And so they let us out of the bus, and we go into the mall, and they taught us this formula. And I went straight to the arcade and played pinball. <laughs> I wasn't ready. I did not have a harvest mindset. I had a get me out of here mindset. I don't know what I'm doing mindset and really didn't care about souls. And I was young and I had to get over that. I had to develop a harvest mindset. One of the terms that I used years ago that has helped my mindset is the term pre-Christian. You ever heard that term before? Pre-Christian? It's better than lost, isn't it? When you look at somebody as pre-Christian, it changes your mindset. I was with a friend of mine in Indianapolis, and Eric was quite the businessman, um, a horrible family man, a person of horrible ethics. And we were together, and I was ready to cut the cord and not have anything to do with him anymore because he was just so opposite from me. So opposite. And yet, when I started viewing Eric as a pre-Christian, we cut through a lot of stuff <coughs> and began getting towards the heart. But it's all in our mind. Have you ever given up on somebody? You ever done that? Unfortunately, I have in those days past. I've really thought, well, they're beyond. I've gotten over that now, and I can look at the world as pre-Christian, and that helps my mindset. The harvest is now, 
And we have to have the harvest mindset. I think if we did that, churches would explode and revival would break out all over this world. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. And when you're thinking about, really, I should pray for everyone, it gets real specific. For kings and all who are in high positions. Let me translate today to modern languages. To those people in those commercials during election time that you can't grab the remote control fast enough to change the channel on. You ready for this to be over? Yes, you are. Doesn't matter what side you're on, you're ready for this to be over. And we're told here to pray for all in leadership. No matter how we feel, that's changing our mindset. So that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in our godliness and dignity. And that's why you do it. This is right and it's acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And then something into the mindset of God in verse 4 that blows my mind. Who desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see what we're told to do here? We are told to pray. And we all can do that. From the youngest in this room to the oldest in this room. We can do that. And it's interesting to me what God desires. Verse 4 again. God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's my job to make God's desires my desires. And when I do that, I see harvest. When I do that, instead of a wicked, lost group of people, I see pre-Christians. Let me share two quotes with you I've saved over the years about the way some of us look at outreach. One person said, Christians all over America sit and do nothing, and the potential harvest rots in the field. We can be guilty of that if we have the wrong mindset. Another quote, the people of this world are more ready to receive the good news than the Christians are ready to give it. And sometimes that's true. There's a starving world out there wanting to hear something. They need good news. And if our mindset's wrong, we're not going to share That leads us to the problem. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. It is there. But, well, the laborers, they are few. In a Gallup poll several years ago, six million Americans were asked this question. What would it take to get you to church? That was the question. The number one answer is about you. Someone to ask me. It's about six million people, they, on average, the most popular answer given was, you know, somebody to ask me. The people of this world are more ready to receive the good news than many Christians are ready to give it. I vividly remember asking a man to come to church and he told me, you know, I've lived here 14 years and nobody ever asked me to go to church before. Thank God that Jesus gave the disciples a solution to the problem. Verse 38. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then your prayer starts to develop when you do that, to pray about it. And as we pray, 
we might pray God send folks out to the harvest and God might equip Bob and Jan to go on an adventure all over the world if they did. But very often God will start to change your heart and your mindset and that little voice will hit you going, why not me? Why not where I work? Why not where I live? Who's going to reach my circle better than I can? And when you start that kind of prayer, God answers it in so very many, many ways that he begins to change our lives. In a nutshell, Jesus says to pray, to plug into the power. If you want to know what power I'm talking about, read when you get home the first part of Mark chapter 9. It's unbelievable. In the first 30, Matthew chapter 9, in the first 34 verses before we got where we started, in Matthew chapter 9, right before Jesus talked about the harvest, he heals a paralyzed man, he calls a tax collector as a disciple, he raises a girl from the dead, he gives two blind men sight, he healed a mute demon-possessed man. Pretty good day, isn't it? And the disciples saw all of these things happen their minds started to turn. Their minds started to change. And their mindset began to grow. This was a great teaching moment after such exhibition of power. And Jesus pointed to the harvest. He pointed to the problem. And he pointed to the power of prayer. One of my favorite stories from right after the Civil War in July 1857, a quiet, dedicated Christian businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear became a missionary to New York City. He decided to start a noonday prayer meeting on Wednesdays, and he distributed a handbill, and this is what it said. A day prayer meeting is held every Wednesday from 12 to 1 o'clock in the consistory building in the rear of the North Dutch Church, corner of Fulton and William Street, entrance from Fulton and Ann Streets. This meeting is intended to give merchants, mechanics, clerks, strangers, and businessmen generally an opportunity to stop and call upon God amid the perplexities incident to their respective applications. It will continue for one hour, but it is also designed for those who may find it inconvenient to remain more than five or ten minutes, as well as for those who can spare the whole hour. That was the handbill sent out. in July of 57. The first meeting was held on September the 23rd, 1857. At 12 noon, nobody was there. Five minutes later, nothing. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes passed, and nobody showed up. At 12.25, he heard footsteps, and six people gathered. Not bad. Not particularly good. Not bad. On October the 7th, there were 40 people. They decided to hold the meeting daily. Mr. Lanfear had a harvest mindset. Within six months, 10,000 men gathered for prayer daily in 1857. That would have been 1858. 10,000, and it led to the greatest revival New York City had ever seen. 
Will you join me? Will you develop a harvest mindset? Will you pray? If that happens, there's more than six of us here. There's more than four of us. But if that happens, and we begin to see the world around us as pre-Christians ready for harvest, 